Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Today is the weekly anniversary of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't just celebrate it at Easter, we celebrate it every single Sunday because it changes things. I mean, truthfully, it changes things every day of the week, but, but Sunday's that reminder, right? Sunday's that, yeah, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And it changes absolutely everything. But while Jesus being alive changes everything, it's important to know the things that Jesus said, right? And maybe the antithesis of that, to know the things he didn't say. Jesus didn't say that. Because in our culture, especially in, in America, where we're a very uh, Christianized country. Not to say that everybody's a believer, everybody has faith, but there's a lot of elements throughout our tradition as a country that has Christian undertones and elements to it. And in that culture, sometimes we take something that we heard, and we kind of heard it said this way, and and we tell somebody else, but we kind of changed something in there along the way. And then they tell the next person, and they kind of changed something else a little bit along the way. And so on and so on and so on, right? You've ever played the game Telephone. You know where this goes. And all of a sudden, at the end of that line, you've got something that, wait, hold on. That, that's nothing like what was said originally. I just kept repeating it because everybody else was saying it. Which is why we're doing this series. Jesus never said that. The Bible doesn't say that. Scripture doesn't back that up. That, that claim that culture says about uh, uh, this moralistic life is not a biblical claim. But the only way we can know that and be sure of that is if we open our Bibles and we read the words for ourselves, right? That's why it was such a big deal back when the Bibles were first printed because the King James translation was about getting the Bible in the language that people could understand. They could read it themselves. They weren't relying on pastors and priests to, to tell them what it said. They said, I can open it myself, and I can read it. I have access to understand what God is actually communicating. And it's not in a language I don't understand. So it's so important that we know what Jesus said and what he didn't say. Today we're going to be looking at, um, oops, wrong button. There we go. A couple scriptures. You can turn your Bibles there. We'll be between the two passages, Romans 5 and Matthew 25, this morning. And both of these stories um, have elements here that we're going to unpack a little bit. Allow me to read just a little bit here to get us started out of Romans 5. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses here in this chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spreads to all people, because all sinned. In fact, 
Sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is the type of the coming one. Now there's a lot going on there. Uh, Romans is, is thought to be a book in the New Testament that's kind of a theology textbook almost. It's not like reading the gospel stories that tell the narrative of Jesus's birth, life, death, and resurrection. It's, it's kind of expanding on it and explaining some of these things. What does this mean? And so sometimes when we read Romans, there's a lot of this, this I call it double talk. They say something one way and then they say it again another way, uh, but they haven't said something new. They're just trying to communicate this idea and the, the importance of it. And so sometimes we get bogged down when we read Romans and we say, I don't understand what it's saying. We just pull back, slow down, and, and examine it a little bit, and we can get a better picture. Verse 12 there says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. This is where we're at. You and me. We don't have a choice. We don't have any say in the matter. We live in a world that is full of sin. I can't change it. You can't change it. It doesn't matter how good you are. The world around us is always going to be sinful until Jesus returns. But for as we know it today, sin exists. And no matter if you find yourself secluded in a small Christian bubble— you isolate yourself and you say, I'm only going to interact with Christians. I'm only going to interact with church folk the rest of my life. I'm never going to deal with, with those people on the outside. There's still sin in the midst of all of that. You can't escape it. This is where we're at. One man caused this for us. Adam and Eve, when they chose to sin in the Garden of Eden, Genesis, you can read the whole story there. Genesis chapter 2. After God created them, it didn't take long. They started screwing things up. And we are cursed as a result of it. We find ourselves in this position because of one man and one woman's initial sin. So we live in a world that is full of sin. And what has this done to us? Well, the theologian, Reformation theologian Martin Luther, was historically almost thought to have been driven mad by his sense of guilt that he carried with him everywhere he went. He was noted to spend hours in confession. Every day in confession. Confessing every little sin. And his, his peers were thinking, this guy is crazy. He's like trying to find things he did wrong. Like he's not, he's not feeling guilty, but he's like looking in all of his life and examining every detail. Like, did, did maybe I, I unintentionally insult that person when I had that conversation with them? He's examining every detail. Consumed with this idea that if Jesus returns and I haven't confessed every sin in my life, he's not going to come for me. And this weight of feeling like he was completely helpless drove him crazy. And while we owe a lot to Martin Luther in the world of theology, in this area, we don't need to take a lot of pointers from Martin Luther. We don't need to be driven mad by our feelings of guilt and shame. By this idea that 
I'm just a dirty, sinful person, and I can never be anything other than that. Because what the Bible talks about and what Jesus expands to us and gives us and offers us is this idea that I can, Jesus can, I can make you holy. I can make you good. Again. Like you were created to be. You were created good. We were created good. And Jesus says, I want that for you. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe you're carrying guilt like Martin Luther, and you need to hear Jesus saying, I want you to be holy. I want to make you holy. I want to clean things up. I want to purify you. I want to get your heart right. But sometimes the challenge is crossing across that chasm, right? To go from acknowledging my need and actually stepping into that. For Martin Luther, it was a struggle. He couldn't handle it. Driven crazy by his feelings of guilt. But Jesus never said, you get what you deserve. Jesus never said it. Open your Bible, look through every single word in there, and you will never once find Jesus saying the words, you get what you deserve. What goes around comes around. Because you were bad, bad things happen to you. So that begs the question then, well, why do bad things happen, right? If I'm doing good things, why are bad things happening, right? Shouldn't there be some kind of balance? And I know I'm going to let my nerd show a little bit. But in the world of professional wrestling, I'll I'll just prime it right there. In the world of professional wrestling, there's good guys and there's bad guys. It's a, it's a, it's a soap opera for men, right? <laughs> there's good guys and there's bad guys. And, and what typically happens is they build up to a big event because they make their money off of the big pay-per-view events, right? And so the whole month they're leading up to this pay-per-view event, and what they do every single week for their, their daily shows or their weekly shows is they build up to it, and usually it means the bad guy is going to keep winning. Like, for that whole month. Like, the bad guy just keeps getting one up on the good guy. And the bad guy will do all these things. And the crowd will go, boo, boo, you're terrible. We don't like you. But usually the tide turns somewhere when the good guy gets the upper hand. And the good guy ends up doing the exact same thing that people were booing the bad guy for doing last week. Because they got what they deserved. Right? You know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Well, we flip that a lot of times, and we say, what was done to me should be done to them. That's not what Jesus says. And Jesus doesn't say it for you. He doesn't say, what you said about me is what I'm going to say about you. In fact, we see in Jesus' walk to the cross, as he's being nailed to the cross, as we just sang about, We see his words. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus' words very easily could have been, just wait, I'm coming back. Just wait, see what I'm going to do to you. Right? But he didn't say that. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what's happening. 
And you might have spent a portion of your life, or you might have spent last night cursing God. Hating God. Despising who He is. Because He let this happen in my life. And I don't know why a good God would let this happen in my life. And now you're saying, I feel kind of bad about that. I feel like that was a little unfair. But you think, how could God ever forgive that? I, I mean, I cursed his name. I told my whole family, all my friends, about how much I hated God. And how could God just all of a sudden be cool with me being like, hey, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus never said, you get what you deserve. And the Bible doesn't teach that either. In all the rest of the scriptures, we don't see anywhere where it says you get what you deserve. In fact, the Bible teaches us that you can get what you don't deserve. Now, it's important here to note the words used there. It's not you will get what you don't deserve. You can get what you don't deserve. There's a possibility. And the possibility isn't like a lottery ticket. The possibility depends on your willingness. Not on anything else. Because it's already, the ticket's already been bought. It's already been purchased. Jesus already did it. And he is waiting for you to determine whether or not you're going to accept it. And that changes everything. You can get what you don't deserve. And that's the grace we were singing about all this morning. Well, take a look with me, if you will, in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 19 through 30. I'm going to read it for us. It says this, After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached him, and he said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Verse 24 says, The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. So I was afraid, and I went off and I hid your talent in the ground. See, have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you know that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Q. 
Okay, that's a little heavy. And it kind of sounds a little bit like Jesus is saying he got what he deserved, right? I mean, let's, let's diagram this down here a second. I'm no mathematician, so I need a little, a little help here. But we got a master and his three servants, right? And the master says, hey, I'm going to go away. And uh, I got this project for you guys to do, all right? So while I'm gone, I'm going to have uh, the first one. I, I, I need, I'm going to give you this money, these five talents. And uh, I want you to take care of this money. It's my money. I earned it. It's, it's my possessions. I can choose who I want to give it to. And so I'm going to give you five of these talents, right? So we've got servant one. He's got five talents. And then he, he comes to the second servant, and he says, all right, servant two, uh, same deal, but a little bit different. Um, I'm not going to give you five talents, right? I'm just going to give you two talents, okay? So I know it's less than the first servant, but it's my money. I can do with it whatever I want. So you're going to be happy with two talents. And then servant three comes up and says, okay, what about me, master? Uh, I'm here too. I'm ready to go. What do you need for me? And the master says, all right, uh, well, I'm, I already gave away seven of my talents, um, so uh, I've got one left, and I'm going to trust you with that one. So you're going to have that. And so the master goes away, right? And we just read in the story what happens as the master comes back. He comes back and he says, I'm going to settle my accounts now, okay? So I've been gone a long time. I trusted you guys with this. What have you done with it? What have you done with it? And so the first servant says, hey, I took those five. And I earned another five, so I doubled your money. Look at me. I'm great. I doubled it, right? Invested, grew it, 100% return on investment. Servant two says, hey, same thing. I know I only had two, but I got another two, so I've got a total of four. All right, cool. Awesome. We're doing great. Servant three, how'd you do? Notice what the third servant does immediately. How he responds to the master. He doesn't say, hey, sir, I'm sorry, I was a little nervous, I was scared. He begins to blame the master. He says, you're a harsh man. You're sowing and gathering, or you're gathering where you haven't sown. And, and you harvest where you haven't placed seeds. And so because of that, I chose to do nothing. Because I thought that was the better option. And the master responds, you wicked servant. And he took the one away from him that he had already given him and gave it to this guy. So now he's got 11. So here's where the math comes in, right? So I'm not very good at math. This number, though, is bigger than this number. Thank you. Right? This number, or excuse me, this number, four, is less than servant one started out with, right? Servant one started out with five. So if we're talking about total accumulation here, servant two still isn't even at the same place that servant one was when he started. Servant two hasn't even achieved the status of servant one from the beginning. And meanwhile, servant one's over here with three times the amount, nearly, of servant two. So what does this all mean for us then? Is, is, is Jesus really saying you get what you deserve? And I left my clicker all the way over here, so now I've got to walk all the way over here. 
I know. Brace the awkward. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 again. I think it's going to help us here. Because Jesus didn't say that the first servant was good and faithful because he earned five more. He didn't say that the second servant was good and faithful because he earned two more. He said they were good and faithful because they chose to be committed to the master and the master's plan. It wasn't that they had earned something out of this. It wasn't a you deserve to be rewarded. No. Because what did it say? It said, come and share in the master's joy. He said, share in my joy, not in your joy. It's not your joy. It's still mine. I possess it. I own it. I'm responsible for it. But I'm choosing to give it to you. So let's look at the rest of Romans chapter 5 here, picking up at verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, talking about Adam, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So then, as though one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also, though one righteous act, through one righteous act, excuse me, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass. Get this. Verse 20. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's where we are. I'm getting goosebumps, sorry. Here's where we are. We're in a state of, of sinful world. And we see how sin multiplies, right? Those of you who are, maybe have parented little ones in the room or shared in, in parental roles in little ones, you've probably no doubt at some point bestowed on them the knowledge that one lie turns into two lies, turns into three lies, that they multiply and they can multiply rather rapidly as we try to mask and cover up. We know how sin multiplies very quickly. And all of a sudden, it's out of control. And here we are in this place where I didn't realize how I got here. This is worse than I expected it to be. But what Romans just saw, said to us is that 
you can take that multiplication and watch it be dwarfed in the multiplication of the grace of Jesus Christ. You can. Not Pastor Matthew, ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene. You can. You can watch your sin be dwarfed by the grace of Jesus Christ because he just wants to give it to you. He wants to pour it out on you in heavy doses so that it's overflowing like we just sang about. All these songs we sang about today, man, that was the message. Grace overflowing into us. Jesus just wants to give it to us in abundance. You might recognize some of these men on this screen here. King Henry VIII, up there in the top corner. Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, Osama bin Laden, Attila the Hun, Adolf Hitler, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, Benito Mussolini. These are some of the most not-Jesus people ever to walk the earth. In fact, I got these men all from a list. I googled it and said, top worst people in the history of the world. And these were all in the top 50. Right? Because that's how we do things, right? We quantify. Who's, who's worse than, than the next person? Who's more bad? Like, this person's bad, but he's more bad. And you could quantify these guys in a lot of different categories. Murderers, rapists, war criminals, so on and so forth. And it's very easy for us to look at these men and desire that they get what they deserve. In fact, we cheer for it. And not to discredit the evil things they did, right? There was evil that was done and needed to be stopped by many of these men. All of these men. But when Adolf Hitler was killed to end World War II, and we celebrate that World War II ended because we didn't want World War II to keep going on, we, I wasn't alive, but we as a country, and the free world, as they call it, celebrated the death of this man. Praised God for the death of this man. Parades were thrown. Meanwhile, Jesus was weeping. Jesus was weeping for the loss of somebody who was made in his image, in his likeness, who was made to look like him, to be like him, who was, he wasn't too far gone. He wasn't out of his reach. Jesus was like, I can still redeem him. And now I wasn't alive for World War II, so I, I'm at the mercy of history books, right? And I'm, I'm trying to read into my own feelings of, how I might have felt in that time. How, what my experience might have been like if I was alive and, and how I would have dealt with that death. But I was alive when Osama bin Laden died. And it really was not that ancient history. Past May, 
in fact, was the 10th anniversary of Osama bin Laden's death. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story. It was a night operation. U.S. Special Forces had figured out what bunker, what tunnel he was hiding in. And they went in there. There's movies made about it, all this stuff, right? And they said, we're going to get this guy. Because he's the guy who did 9-11. Twin Towers. All this. He's, he's the reason we are the way we are today. And for a lot of them, he was probably one of the big reasons why they were even in the U.S. Special Forces. I mean, that's why I joined the military. As an 11-year-old boy, 9-11 changed my perspective of the world. Changed my perspective of our country. Changed my, perf- my perspective of what safety looked like. And for a lot of that time, the whole idea was, we're going to get the bad guys. But when we stop and we read Scripture seriously, we begin to see that the bad guys don't look that different from us a lot of the time. In fact, I'm the bad guy a lot of times. I'm not as bad as Osama bin Laden, right? Sin has multiplied in my life. I've just allowed God's grace to multiply all the much more. But I remember getting the report, and it was finals week, so we're all exhausted. I was in my junior year of college. We're all exhausted. It's finals week. It's Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was, in that midnight hour when it happened. And I remember sitting there feeling this weird experience in my, my soul and in my body saying, I should be celebrating because, like, that's the bad guy. That's what we've been doing this for. If, if we believe everything that they were saying was true, that he orchestrated 9-11, that he's the reason all of those people uh, died in those twin towers, if we believe that to be true, we should be praising God that he's no longer living. But I was wrestling with all of this biblical teaching that I had been gaining and all of this theology that had been forming in my heart and in my mind, all of these understandings of who God is and what grace is and what sin is and what, what does redemption look like and, and who qualifies for redemption. And I remember feeling, man, we shouldn't be celebrating, we should be weeping. There is this sense of like, yeah, we don't have to worry about him anymore, right? Obviously he hated America, that's well documented. And he hated Americans because we're Americans. But when Jesus was hated, he chose to love people. When Jesus was hated, he chose to go to a cross and die. Because Jesus had the opportunity to be set free. When Pontius Pilate stood before the Jewish crowd, he said, Hey, here's this murderer-killer Barabbas— terrible guy. I wouldn't let him go. But because it's tradition, we have this opportunity. You guys can vote, essentially, and I'll pardon one of these two guys. We got Barabbas, the murderer over here, or this Jesus guy who's a teacher and was doing all these miracles two days ago, and everybody was celebrating and praising, but now all of a sudden you guys hate for some reason. Which one do you want me to let go? And the crowd, of course, cheered for Barabbas. Free, free the murderer. Kill Jesus. 
Jesus punished for a crime that he didn't commit, chose to love and be gracious and extend it because Jesus didn't think you get what you deserve. He said, you get what you don't deserve. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Grace, forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption. I'll never forget that moment with Osama bin Laden because it changed my understanding of grace and redemption. And I fully believe, and I know this will make somebody mad in here probably, but I fully believe that it's scriptural, it's biblical, and Jesus stands for it. In fact, he stands on the cross for it. That any one of these men, and every one of these men, was not outside of his gracious reach. That's not to say they're in heaven today. I'm not going to make predictions about where they are. That's not my place, thank the Lord. I'll let God do that. But I believe, and I know to be true, that God's forgiveness was big enough for every single one of them if they accepted it, if they acknowledged their need for it. So where does this leave us today? Maybe you're sitting there saying, God's grace isn't big enough for me. You don't realize how much I pushed him away. How hard I've tried to keep God at bay. You don't realize the things I've done. Let me tell you. Man, I got so many stories. Um, talking to soldiers who think they can't be loved by God. Because of the things they did. And I don't have to justify the things they did. Because it's not about that. I'm not trying to play some kind of word game where I can like make them feel okay with the things they did in their past. I just have to tell them God's grace is big enough. It's big enough. It's big enough for you. It's big enough for me. It's big enough for that person you hate. It's big enough for the serial killers, the murderers, the rapists, the pedophiles, the adulterers, the religions that we don't like that we disagree with. It's big enough for all of it. Romans 5, 17. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? This gift is for you. Maybe you need to hear that again. This gift is for you. If you've never accepted this gift, you can accept it today. Don't delay. Call today. <laughs> little reprieve on the emotion there. Today. It's offered. You just have to accept it. It doesn't matter what you've done. That's not a platitude. That's not a, a try-to-ease-the-guilt statement. It literally does not matter what you've done. God's grace is bigger. It's bigger. 
God stands facing you with arms wide open. Accept it. Receive it. Acknowledge it. Take hold of it. And watch what he does with your life as a result of it. Because that's only the beginning of the story. But it's an awesome beginning. You are not beyond God's grace. Now I want you to hear that, internalize it, say it in your own head, use your first name, and say, Matthew is not beyond God's grace. I am not beyond God's grace. You are not beyond his grace. Accept it. Can we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? Father God, I thank you that today is not about me. Because if it was about me, <laughs> this would be a pretty big letdown. Because I can't save anybody. I can barely offer help for today, let alone help for eternity. But you, you can do it all. And you're not just limited to those who are Wapak Naz, those who call themselves Nazarenes. You're not even just limited to those who call themselves Christians. God, your grace is big enough for any and all to accept it. And so I pray this morning for the man, the woman in this room who is struggling to accept that their sin can be forgiven, that they don't get what they deserve. They're struggling to accept the fact that God doesn't stand over them looking to punish them. That they accept His grace that he's offering freely. That they simply just say this morning, Father, I know I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me and be the Lord of my life? And they can walk in the newness of that life today. God, may you continue to pour your Holy Spirit upon us. May you give us the grace we need to handle each situation in our days. Because let's face it, the world is pretty dark and bleak a lot of the time. And even if we're following the Lord, and even if we seek to do the things He's asked us to do, it's easy to grow discouraged, to grow fearful, to think, man, I'm, I'm just waiting for that other shoe to drop because I know God's looking to punish me for something. May we not be consumed with our guilt like Martin Luther, but may we release it into the hands of the Almighty God so that you can wash us clean, so that you can purify our hearts, purify our minds, redeem us and restore us to the glory that you've created us for. And may we worship you in all those things. For all these things and all the things that you're doing that we haven't even acknowledged, God, we say thank you. 
And we ask that you continue to guide us and protect us as we leave this place today. For it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.